0: Now, if you will please get out your Bible, um, we are going to be studying John chapter 6 together. This is uh, the bread of life sermon that Jesus gives, this famous sermon on the bread of life. It's the first of his seven I am statements and uh, we'll be covering this in, in multiple parts. This is really just like the bread of life part one. Uh, we're going to try and get through uh, verses uh, 36. So John six twenty two to 36 this morning. Definitely, if you are able, if you're not listening to this on a walk or something, get a physical Bible out. We're, we will just be working verse by verse and considering the words of Jesus together. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 36. Let's read that text together and then pray and study God's word. John 6, 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, You are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them this, Is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. These are the words of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your living and active and inspired and infallible and inerrant and powerful, life-creating word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that this is your sword. It's how you speak to us and correct us and give us faith and life. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's the way you create faith in a dead heart. It's the way you sustain and fuel and nourish our souls. And it's how you show us Jesus. So God, wherever we're at right now, is going on in our life, whatever hardships we are facing, whatever gifts you are giving, whatever celebrations, wherever we are, Lord, I pray that right now we would hear you speak to us through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need you. And this morning, we don't want to seek, we don't want to seek something that's less than what you have for us, just some temporary Fix God, we want the eternal life. We want the living bread, the true bread of life to sustain and nourish our souls. So please, God, help me, my mind, just my my thoughts, my weaknesses, help me just to be faithful to explain and expound what you have spoken, Jesus. It's all for your glory and your name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you this question. What is true saving faith what is true saving faith listen one of maybe the challenges spiritually that you face today it is it's unique to any christian who has ever lived one of the unique challenges that we face as christians in this world is there is so much information there are so many voices and opinions telling you what it is to follow Jesus, what it is to find true life, spiritual life, significant spiritual life. There are so many podcasts, there are so many websites, there are so many books, more than have ever been in human history. And how can you know in the midst of all of this noise and all of these opinions, how can you know what true saving faith is? Listen, in Jesus' day, these people, there were about 20,000 people in this situation who who received the bread that Jesus gave as he multiplied the bread and and now they're coming to him. There were were so many people who who wanted to hear Jesus and see his miracles and to follow him. But listen, there were 20,000 at the beginning of chapter six and at the end of chapter six, there are 12. There were 20,000. Jesus was so popular. This this chapter is the peak of his ministry in the area of Galilee, his kind of hometown area. And by chapter seven, he's going to go down to Jerusalem. and, And all of a sudden, we are in like the last weeks of his life. John uh, just quickly moves through the ministry of Jesus and he he is in this chapter this is the last time we see the, the man Jesus who is so popular this is the peak he's he's done all kinds of miracles and he just fed over 20,000 people and they are coming to him in in uh, just v- verse 15 they wanted to make him king he has never been more popular And listen, in our day and age, Jesus in general is popular. Teaching about Jesus in general is popular. But is it true? Is it faithful? Is it truly honoring and faithful to Jesus? You see, what stands between the popularity of Jesus at the beginning of this chapter and just the 12 disciples... Who, who is all that's left at the end of this chapter. What stands between the, this popularity Jesus has and then all of a sudden it's all gone and there are a few disciples. What stands in that gap is John chapter 6 and the teaching Jesus gives as, as the bread of life jesus in this it's almost like a sermon but he's interacting with these groups he's he's kind of like a question and answer session where where these people come to him and they ask him a question and then he corrects them and there's essentially six groups of questions in the rest of this chapter and jesus corrects them and and he corrects them again and again and again and ultimately what he has to say what true saving faith is is too difficult it's too frustrating it's too offensive and all of these crowds wander away. Listen, Jesus may be popular, but true saving faith is willing to say, Jesus, whatever you say, however you need to correct me, whatever you say, I will follow you. You see, at the end of this chapter, uh, in, if you look at verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Look what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life and so what we're about to do is begin to study some of the words of eternal life the words that describe what true saving faith is what it means to truly follow Jesus and these are these are words that in a sense draw a line in the sand these are words that that winnow the crowd down, that removes the chaff. These are difficult words. Towards the end, they say, this is a hard saying, Jesus. But, but again, these are the words of eternal life. There is life forever if you will hear these words and obey them. So let's begin. We're going to cover essentially three groups of questions that is posed to Jesus, uh, just the beginning of his teaching as the bread of life. And so let's just pick up again at verse 22 to 24 and, and get a little bit of context about what's going on here. Verse 22 to 24. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, what had just happened, if you recall, is Jesus just the day before had been teaching this large crowd, 5,000 just men. Uh, so it's easy for us to say at least about 20,000 families were there or 20,000 people were there. And Jesus has compassion on them and he multiplies, remember, five loaves of bread and two fish and there's enough for everyone to eat and be satisfied and for 12 baskets left over to be there. And Jesus just feeds all of these people and then he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee and he goes up. To pray, and then in the middle of the night, he crosses the Sea of Galilee the same way that the, the, the uh, Israelites crossed the Red Sea, and Jesus was displaying, I am the true and better Moses. All of this stuff was just Moses writing about me, and they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so the next day, the crowd is like, where'd Jesus go? We saw him go up on the mountain. He didn't get into the boat. And so they realized, well, that boat's gone. And so um, likely what happened then is the, the news of this large crowd got to various boats in the area. And so these boats would come pick these people up to make some money and they transport a good portion of this crowd and they go find Jesus across the lake and they come Seeking Jesus, which sounds really good. They come seeking Jesus. Now, the first, uh, to sum up this sermon, really, we'll hang it on three points, three truths about the bread of life, okay? Now, we come at the first point in verses 25 to 27, and it's the truth that Jesus is going to reveal about the bread of life, and it's this, the bread of life endures, The bread of life endures. And now let's look at what happens, verse 25 to 27. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Now, the first thing to notice is this. These people come seeking Jesus, and they ask Him a question, the first of many sets of questions. And it's just a simple question. Jesus, how'd you get here? We saw you go on the mountain, and now you're here, and we don't see a boat. How'd you get here? Now, Jesus could have told them quite a story, Oh, you want to know how I got here? Let me tell you. But he he doesn't even answer their question. His response is he actually corrects their question. Now, I want to say this to you. You may have many questions for God. You may have many questions for Jesus. And you may bring your questions to Jesus, but when you are walking with Jesus, what very often happens is Jesus doesn't answer your question the way you wanted him to answer it. He actually reprioritizes for you the question you should be asking. He, he changes even your priorities and your desires. Yes, you may have a question about this. Yes, you may have a question about this. But Jesus gets to the heart of things and he responds to them and he says, listen. You're not seeking me because you saw the signs and and that they're revealing something incredible about me. What he says, he calls them out. He says, all you want is more bread. You're seeking me because all you want is you got your stomach filled yesterday and you want your stomach filled today. And Jesus is correcting their priorities. Doesn't answer their question. How'd you get here? He just calls them out and he calls out their heart and their motivation. He says, all you want from me is, is some bread that will fill your belly for a few hours. And then he says, that is, that is not why I came to simply fill your belly. He says, you're seeking me because you ate your fill. That expression, ate your fill, is commonly used of cattle to eat your fill. He's saying, you guys are like a herd of cattle and you just stuffed your faces and now that you just want me to stuff your faces again. And what Jesus is doing here is he is warning one of the primary hindrances to our souls, one of the dangers of the human soul. And that's the danger of materialism, the danger of living for stuff to fill our faces and our bellies, to live for this life for temporal concerns and priorities. All throughout the Bible, we see the danger of materialism. Remember Achan? Remember Achan as the Israelites just had a victory over Jericho? And God said, destroy all that stuff. You don't need that stuff. I'll provide for you. But Achan saw some stuff, some treasure, and he hid it. And he lost his soul because he was concerned about stuff. Do you remember Solomon? King Solomon, one of the wisest men ever to live besides Jesus. He knew better, but he lived for stuff, for temporary pleasures. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, a part of this growing early church And people were selling their possessions and they were sharing with one another and they wanted popularity and so they sold their possessions but they kept some of the proceeds and they lied about it they were living for temporary applause and money and jesus says elsewhere what good is it even to gain the world but to lose your soul now one of the dangers of coming to Jesus is we think we almost want to use Jesus for our material possessions. These people were going to the right person, the right place. They were seeking Jesus. They looked really good and really religious. I'm going to church. I'm going to hear Jesus but their motivation was just for temporary stuff, for a temporary fix. They just wanted their bellies to be full. Martin Luther calls calls it a belly sermon. When we come to church and all we want is just to feel good for a few hours and leave, all we want is we use Jesus, the infinite glorious Jesus just to satisfy our temporary needs. You know what that's like? I was thinking about it this week. It would be like buying a brand new car and all you ever did was sit inside and listen to the radio. When you come to Jesus to get your belly full, it's, it is, I, it's, like, it's like someone handed you a, a bar of gold. And I don't know how much that would be worth, but let's just say a lot of hundreds of thousands of dollars. But all you used it for was a paperweight. So often we can be tempted. That is what the entire prosperity gospel uses. Say, if you come to Jesus, he'll take care of your temporary desires, your belly, your body. Now, listen, I just wanna say this kindly to you. We are living in a season right now where people are concerned, all of their concerns. There are so many people who are concerned about their bodies, about their health and their safety. And you know what? Maybe some of you are concerned about that. Maybe others of you are concerned about this kingdom that is America, this nation, this temporary structure. Some of us are, are, all of our work and our attention is on our physical body. Some of us, all of our attention and our work is given to this nation. Now listen, is it wrong to like, provide for your basic needs, not at all. That was one of Adam's primary responsibilities. Hey, cultivate this garden. From the very beginning, it is, it is good and right and responsible for human beings to work hard, to provide for themselves, food and covering and houses and bills, of course. Is it wrong to wanna uh, be physically healthy? Of course not. Is it wrong to be a good citizen? Of course not. But Jesus is saying, Don't make that what your life is all about. Don't make your work and your energy and your efforts and your concerns and your prayers all about something that is temporary. Just some temporary comfort. And don't, he's saying, come to me and use me to make your life more, your temporary life more comfortable your stomach's just going to empty again your body's going to die this nation is not the kingdom of God he is saying the bread of life that you should work for and concern yourself with and make your primary focus last forever make your concerns about something that is going to last forever don't come to me for these temporary things. Now, now I'm just going to say this. there is a temp- There's a temptation even in church to just get temporary believers and to give them temporary bread. And to just make all our sermons about our temporary needs. And so we have this temporary popularity. And it's all just run on just helping us feel better about our temporary concerns. Jesus saying, don't make your life, don't make your devotion to me about what is temporary. You need to be concerned about the bread that does not wear out, the bread of life that is eternal. And just the last thing I wanna say, if you aren't even sure if you are into following Jesus, or if you're just considering this, have you ever felt... Have you ever felt after you just work at day after day after day and you're just paying the bills and you're just going through the grind of life, have you ever wondered, is this all there is? Is this life, this crazy world, just trying to survive, is this all there is? Jesus says, no, this is not all there is. There is more to life than your body there is more to life than this temporary nation and planet and affairs going on in this world. There is food that will last for eternity. And that food is given to you by the son of man, Jesus. For on him, God the father has set his seal. God the father says, I will give you my son and he will give you eternal life. Do not live, do not even pursue Jesus with just the temporary concerns and desires in front of you. So Jesus corrects them right off the bat. No, that's that's not, don't seek me just for bread. Yes, I have compassion on you, I want to feed you, but, but there's more. There's more to life, there's more to me, Jesus is saying, than just bread. And then he goes on to say, Uh, And this is the second truth about the bread of life. If the first truth is the bread of life endures, the second truth Jesus clarifies is this. The bread of life is a gift. The bread of life is a gift. Now let's read verses 28 and 29. Verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I just want to pause there. It's such a strange response, right? Jesus has this whole point, don't live for this life. Don't work for this life, work for eternity. And then the first thing they, they, they say to him is, so what do we have to do to get this eternal life? They pick up on when Jesus said in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Do not work. It's as if they didn't hear anything else Jesus said about eternal life. And the only word they, they heard that stuck in their ears was work. So, so they're saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, so I'm not supposed to work for temporary stuff. So what do I have to, what work do I have to do to get eternal life? They say in verse 28, what works must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him Whom he has sent. They get sidetracked with their minds that aren't grasping the spiritual things Jesus is talking about, and all they hear is, What work do I have to do to have this eternal life? What work do I have to do? What are the works of God? And Jesus again corrects this question, this second question Okay, Jesus, fine. Don't work for temporary stuff. I need to work for eternal stuff. So what do I have to do to work for eternal stuff? And what Jesus says is, this is the work of God, belief. The work of God is faith. The work God requires of you. The work that you are to concern your whole self and life with is to believe. To believe in him who the Father has sent. The, the great work of Christianity is faith. The great daily effort of Christianity is belief. But the human mind is just, and the human heart is just so prone to, I will work I will prove myself. I will make myself righteous before God. And notice in verse 28, the, the word works is plural. What, what are all the works I have to do? What are the works that I must do this and that? Maybe I need to do this more and I need to do that more. And Jesus replies with a singular work. There's one thing he says you need to do. One work, believe. Believe. You need to believe in me. You know, they also missed a word in verse 27. They missed the, they heard the word work. Many of us hear that word when we read the Bible, work, work, work. But they missed a word in verse 27 that says, which the Son of Man will give to you. The Son of Man will give to you. And they also miss that concept in verse 28, 29, believe in the one God has sent. Now here's here is the most important thing in walking with God. God sent his son as a gift. As the only perfect and righteous one, the only perfect person who has perfectly obeyed God. And he sent him to a people who have all, all of us have fallen short of obeying God. We have all sinned. He sent his son as a free gift and and Jesus ended his life on a cross. As a gift, as an offering, he laid his life down And in that moment on the cross, all of the wrath of God that is for all the sinners in the world who would ever trust in Jesus, all that was poured out on Jesus. And Jesus died and he rose again. And whoever would believe, and what that means is they would identify, I have sinned, I have fallen short, I need forgiveness. There is no hope for me to work my own salvation. The only hope for me is to lay hold of the free gift of Jesus, the one God has sent. And so I'm going to turn from my righteousness and all my working and I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to cling to the person of Jesus, the one God has sent. I'm going to believe in him. And when you do that, the free gift of God is God says, I forgive you. You now have the righteousness of Jesus. He took your place on the cross. He became your sin and now you have become the righteousness of God. And the work of the Christian life is to give up our works and to give up our sin and to say, I'm clinging to this free gift. I believe he came for me. I'm believing he is the son of God. He is who he says he is and he was my sacrifice in my place so that I can be forgiven. That is the work of Christianity. The default mode is Jesus, tell me what to do. Tell me what works I need to do. How do I need to get busy? And Jesus says, do you know what you need to do? You need to believe in me. You need to trust in me. The greatest, most, the thing we need to do every day is to turn from ourself and our sin and our righteousness and believe in, and cling to Jesus. And the Bible says when we do that, we become a new creation, a new heart that loves God. The Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us and changes us to then love Jesus. Now, let me say this. When you have genuine faith, when you genuinely believe and you have been changed, do you know what comes out of that faith? Well, a lot of good works come. A lot of good works come because you love God and you love his word and you want to obey him and and you want to do everything you can to be with him. And so even the work of reading your Bible or obeying him or denying sin, it flows from your faith. It flows from your trust in Jesus. And so none of us are saved by our works. We are only saved by the works, the work of Jesus for us. But when we believe in Him, when we do that one great work, that is living faith that will bear much fruit and much work. But the chief work, the work we must concern ourselves with every day is to believe on Christ, to believe His Word, to believe we've been forgiven, we've been adopted, we've been filled with the Spirit, we have an eternal inheritance awaiting us in heaven. And notice this, what Jesus said in verse 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures. What, what he's saying is, yeah, it's some work, but, but work for that eternal food. And what is that work? That work is belief. So listen, whenever you think of spiritual disciplines, yes, they're work, but the work that they are achieving is not earning righteousness. The work the, the the value of a spiritual discipline is it's just increasing your belief. It's spending time in the Word of God, which increases your trust in Jesus. The discipline of prayer is just spending time and work on your knees so you can remember, I need God. I'm not Enough. The discipline, the work of confessing your sins just reminds you, I need a savior. The discipline of fasting is just to remind yourself, I I need God. All the spiritual disciplines, all the work of the Christian life is just meant to put before us Jesus and his work and remind us, I need Jesus. None of us can work our way to heaven. None of us can earn our salvation. The work of the Christian is to believe. And so there's many ways we do that. We, we read His Word and we gather together. Right now in this season, we can call one another. We can be encouraging one another. We can be committed to spiritual disciplines all so that we would believe and trust and, and cling to Jesus. That is the work, the bread. And and, and so that is why the the second truth that Jesus tells us, the bread of life is a free gift. Believe in the one God has sent, the, the one that God has given for you. And so first, again, the bread of life endures. Don't work, don't spend your life for things that are temporary. Second, the bread of life is a free gift to you. And the third truth, and this is, The central truth of this chapter. It is the central truth of all of all reality, really. The central truth is this: the bread of life is Jesus himself. The bread of life is Jesus Himself. Let's read uh, the last verses in our text, verses 30 to 36. Verses 30 to 36. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And so they come to Jesus and he corrects them. No, no, you're coming for the wrong reasons. And then they ask him, so what do I have to do, Jesus, to get eternal life? He's saying, no, 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 it's not what you do. You believe in me and what I have done. And then all of a sudden things begin to heat up. They begin to turn a bit against Jesus this great crowd that just was fed by him yesterday that excitedly came up to him and and suddenly in verse 30 it's it's like they say to him who are you who are you to say these things to us who are you to correct us of our motivations our spiritual motivations who are you to say that 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 you are the work of God and and we just need to believe in you and what you have achieved who are you? What sign do you do, Jesus? Now, this is crazy, because literally yesterday, he supernaturally provided bread for them. But what they begin to express to Jesus is, that wasn't enough. That wasn't actually that impressive. And so they, they remind Jesus of an old miracle that happened to their collective history, the Jews' in the wilderness. And in verse 21, they say our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And and really it's what they're saying there, this is crazy, is Jesus, yeah, you got us some bread yesterday, but let's be honest, that was that was regular old bread. We saw just bread. You know, when our fathers, when our fathers received bread, It literally came from heaven. It came down from heaven and it was there on the ground. And what they're doing is they're comparing the miracle Jesus just did to the miracle Moses provided for them. And they're saying, honestly, that was more impressive. And the Jews actually had in their tradition that that the Messiah would come and they, they expected he would perform the exact same miracle that the Jews experienced in the wilderness and bread from, he would feed people, literally bread would come down from heaven. And so they're kind of challenging Jesus here saying, yeah, that miracle you did was cool, but but remember what Moses did for us? Remember the bread they ate from heaven? And so Jesus responds to them in verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. And what he's about to do is he's about to correct them. And he's about to say to them, listen, the true bread of life that the Father gives is far superior to that bread that Moses provided in the Old Testament. And so he says in verse 32, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. And so the first thing he does is he sets it straight. Listen, it's not about what human being is performing these things. It wasn't Moses, but God the Father provides true bread. And then Jesus says in verse 33, "For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world." Now, now there's a couple things here. Jesus is saying this. Listen. That bread that they got with Moses, do you know what's ironic? Yeah, it fell from the sky, but he's saying the true bread came from heaven itself, from the heart of heaven, from the throne of heaven. Jesus is saying, I am the true bread and I didn't just fall from the sky. I was in heaven with God and God has sent me from heaven. And then he says, you know that bread Moses gave you, listen, the true bread that God gives doesn't just feed a body, but it gives life, spiritual life. Jesus is saying that was a pretty significant miracle, but it does not compare to what the true bread of life is that sustains a soul forever. And then he also makes this contrast. He says, "Yeah, yeah, your fathers ate bread, but the bread of life that God gives gives life to the world. Again, remember, only the Jews in the wilderness received that bread, but Jesus, the true bread, is for every person, every nation. That offer of life in Jesus is for everyone." Jesus is saying here, nothing compares to the true bread of life that God the Father gives. Nothing compares. And then they, and it seems they're almost sarcastic in verse 34, say, sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus says one of the most iconic things he has ever said in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, again, this is the first of seven "I am" statements, and I just want to share this with you. This is beautiful the the words the words Jesus uses when he says "I am." It, it's it's so beautiful. He uses two different Greek words, and each of them mean I am. The first word he uses is ego, which just means I, I, like where we get ego, I am. And then he uses the word emi, which also means I am. And so he's what he's doing in the original language, you would see it's this repetitive, like he's saying, I am, I am. Now, what does that sound like? Well, even in this day, they had a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And when when God revealed his name to Moses in the wilderness, he said, I am that I am. And it's those exact two words, ego and me. I am that I am. And so what Jesus says in verse 35 is, I am that I am the bread of life. He's saying, I am Yahweh and I give true bread, the bread of life to the world. Yes, you've been impressed with miracles that I've done. Yes, you've been impressed with the miracles that your fathers have seen, but I am the bread of life. Now listen, this is so important. These These people came to Jesus to get something from him, to get bread from him. And that's understandable. And so often we go to Jesus to get something from him. And that's understandable. He's the most amazing human in the whole world who's ever lived. He's God. That's okay that we bring our needs and our desires to Him and and we try to get uh, what we can from Him. But what Jesus is saying in verse 35 is is the, the bread that you need most is not just something you get from God, what you need most is God Himself. He's saying, the I am is your bread. Jesus, the person of Jesus, is what your soul needs. Not just forgiveness from Jesus. Not just joy from Jesus. Not just adoption into his family. Not just a new identity. Not just life forever in a perfect world that will never fail, what Jesus is saying is what you need most is simply him. Simply Jesus. To feed and feast on the person of Jesus. Jesus himself is the bread of life. Jesus is Correcting these people who are coming to him, trying to use him, trying to get things out of him, trying to make him king of their temporary kingdom, trying to get bread from him, trying to figure out what (coughs) it is to do the work they need to do to get into his kingdom. And and Jesus simply just says, what you need is me. You just need me. And you know what? I'm available. I'm available. He says, whoever comes shall not hunger and whoever believes shall never thirst. Let me tell you, the, <coughs> the true mark of, of true saving faith is that you Come to Jesus for Jesus himself. He's enough. He's enough for you. He satisfies you. He quenches your thirst. Everything else may fade and fail, but he's enough. That is the mark of someone who has truly come to Christ and tasted the bread and has said, I don't need anything else. (coughs) I don't need anyone else. He is my bread. So now I just want to first of all ask, have you come? Have you tasted? Have you tasted someone that is better than anything you have ever tasted? And if you haven't come, let me say to you, Jesus, right now, his hand is extended to you saying, come to me, believe in me, repent of your sin, repent of your works righteousness and come to me and I'll satisfy you. And what he's saying to, to a few disciples who are listening on is they're gonna begin to see this whole crowd begin to walk away because Jesus isn't giving them what they want true disciples again and again hear the words of Jesus and, and hear the loving correction when Jesus says, I'm enough for you. I'm enough for you. If you seek me and my righteousness, listen, I, I'll take care of your body. I'll take care of your clothes. I'll take care of your food and your life. And I'll take care of your soul and your spiritual life forever. And so Christian, I just wanna encourage you in this season that's crazy and and maybe you're, you're even going sermon to sermon and podcast to podcast and, and you're just trying to like get something from Jesus. What I just want to encourage you and remind you is go to Jesus for Jesus himself. Go look at the person of Jesus. Go meditate on the person of Jesus. Of Jesus, Go read his word to be with the person that is Jesus. For when you go to him, you will be satisfied. You will never thirst. So Jesus, I ask right now that you, as you extend your hand saying, come to me. Whoever comes, come to me. Jesus, would we come in faith? Would you increase our faith, Holy Spirit, our belief that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is satisfying, that he's better than whatever temporary things we have right now. That he's the only one who has done the work that we could never do to be right with God and that he is superior and supreme to every other miracle, every other thing Moses ever did, or any other prophet, or any other good gift we can even get from you, God, that it truly the greatest gift is God himself, the I am, the bread of life. Increase our faith, increase our desire to feed and feast on you, Jesus. It's in your precious name. Amen.